Welcome to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, David Green. One of the big trends in the past few years has been the emergence of the skills-based organization. We've seen several examples in previous episodes of the podcast from companies such as HSBC, Unilever, and Standard Chartered Bank on how they are taking a skills-based approach to learning, internal mobility, and workforce planning. But as there is no one-size-fits-all approach, and to help guide you on your own unique journey, I have invited two special guests who are leading the charge in making skills a core part of the people strategy at Johnson & Johnson. As such, I'm delighted to welcome Christina Norris-Watts, Head of Assessment and People Practice, along with Doug Shagham, Head of People Data and Insights from J&J. In this episode, you'll hear how they have been developing skills-based approaches to talent across the organization, what projects and initiatives they have implemented in order to make it work, and guidance for HR practitioners on how to embark on a similar journey. So stay tuned for a great conversation on the practicalities of skills-based talent management. Hi, Doug. Hi, Christina. Really looking forward to our conversation. Uh, Welcome to the show. Before we dive in, you know, it'd be great to give listeners a brief introduction to yourselves and and your roles at at, at Johnson & Johnson. So, Christina, I'll start with you and then we'll go to Doug. Hi, David. Thanks for having us here today. It's really wonderful to be here. So I'm currently the head of assessment and people practices at J&J, like you mentioned. And in this role, I oversee our assessment strategy for both selection and development, as well as our skills strategy for the enterprise. And so to be clear about what that really means, I think about what good looks like and then how we measure people on those things. So I have a PhD in industrial organizational psychology. I've spent about 20 years in the assessment and talent management space and really have the privilege of working with very smart people here at J&J, like Doug, to continue to innovate, experiment, and advance in this area. Christine, and it's, and it's great to see that you're partnering with Doug. And, and Doug, you're going to introduce yourselves, but obviously we know each other well from our uh, people analytics backgrounds. We we do. Uh, thank you, David and Christina. It's always a privilege to be able to spend time with you talking to, to great people like David. My name is Doug Shagham. Um, I've been with J&J for about five years, and I'm currently the head of people, data, and insights at J&J. Um, I've had the privilege of uh, over the last five years of actually having two roles, the one most currently, and prior to this, I was the head of strategic workforce planning and organizational enablement. Um, by being able to, to have such roles, I've been able to see all parts of the people analytics, uh, function, being able to test and learn, do new things, try out new things. And one of which of course we'll talk about today with great partners like Christina and others within our global talent management and different parts of our business. Um, I've, I've been doing this for quite a while overall, my career, 20 years in analytics, specifically the last 10 in HR. And, uh, besides that, I also have the privilege of being able to be an adjunct faculty member at three, uh, three universities, all at master's level HCM or, uh, MBA level programs. It's really, really cool experience to be able to do that. Well, it's great. It's fantastic to have you both on the show, and and I've, I've had some insight into the work that you've been doing um, around skills at J and J, and I know it's something that our listeners are, are going to be able to take a, take a lot from. So, uh, so 
you know, as you both know, there's a lot of conversations at the moment around the transformation towards a skills-based approach. It's a hot topic. Uh, we've we've had a number of episodes on, on the show um, featuring that over the last sort of year or eighteen months. But I'm always quite quite curious to start off with, you know, and I'd like to ask all the guests, particularly those that are representing um, organisations that are on this journey, to just understand a little bit more about what's driving this change at your specific company. So, 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 Christina, what what prompted J and J as an organisation to start looking at talent through the the lens of skills? Yeah, it's a great question, David. And to talk about what prompted us to start, we actually have to talk about where we wanted to go at the end and how we wanted it to end. So we had two major goals. One was to democratize development for all employees at J&J. And what we mean by that is to ensure everyone at J&J knew how to grow their career, understood where the business was heading, and understood the options available to them. And the second goal was to make sure we as an organization understood the skills we have and the skills we still need to achieve our goals. So with those two things as an ending point, we then worked backwards to determine, okay, how are we going to get all that information needed to inform and move closer to those goals? What are we going to do with that information? How are we going to make sure that we do that across the entire organization, an organization as diverse as J&J that has so many different types of jobs and types of employees in so many different countries? How are we going to work backwards from that to get to where we want to go? And uh, Doug, obviously, with your workforce planning hat on, that that sounds like a, a, a wor- workforce pa- uh, workforce planning 2.0. <laughs> yeah, right. For so long, we've always been defined by the titles that we have, right? And we know the titles that we have are typically a collection of skills, experiences that we have. But is that all we are, are just those collections of skills and experiences based on the current role that we have for all the listeners out there. How many of you know that after I finished high school, my first year of my undergraduate experience was actually spent at a top tier music school. Now I'm not here to say that J and J is going to be bringing me forward as the next, you know, musical conductor of the J and J band. However, that is a skill that I do possess. And, you know, should the need arise for uh, musicians, for J&J's Got Talent, now they have a potential source to go tap into, right? And what we think about is we are not just a group of accountants or a group of people who are data engineers or a group of people who have the job title, but we are a collection of different skills, uh, different experiences, and how can we leverage that? And what people really want to do in their career to grow, to adapt, to understand where the organizational capabilities really want to be and, uh, and help them further their opportunities to grow within our company. Let's just go back to the early stages of the, of the skills transformation, you know, at J&J, you know, obviously there's no one size fits all, uh, when it comes to this, but I think it would be really helpful for listeners to, to hear a little bit about how J&J approached this new way of looking at talent. You know, what were the different methods that you took when you started out to answer those questions that um, that Christina outlined, you know, understanding the skills you've got and, 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 and the gaps? Yeah, absolutely. So, so this really started as a true proof of concept. 
And what I mean by that is we know that there are lots of ways to measure skill. I don't know, for Christina could probably tell us when the whole skills notion of capturing skills and identifying when they actually started. I can't even fathom the date, but it was probably a long, long time ago, and there's lots of ways to do it. But what we said was, is there a way that could be done at scale? Is there a way to, that we could do it that could be very robust in terms of ease of use? Could there be a way that could be done that would be different than what more conventional methods would be? So what we did was say, you know what, let's take 10 skills under a capability umbrella called analytics. Now, this comprised of about seven more technical skills, and it was everything from what we would call business insights. Do, do people understand that we have generated information from our business and people can understand a little bit what kind of that information may be, all the way to machine learning, statistical programming, machine learning. And they were skills. A, do I possess that? And then B, what proficiency level do I have in that? Everything from entry level, which is a sort of like I watched a TED talk on it for 20 minutes, give or maybe not even 20 minutes, but you know, a short TED talk all the way through. I'm a thought leader. I'm somebody who's out there speaking at conferences. I know what I'm doing. And we took two different groups. One group was a group that was in the data science council and another group of around, uh, 4,000, 5,000 books that were randomly selected across the United States. We wanted to know, number one, do we have data that's good enough within our digital footprint? So information that was contained in our own HR systems to say, wow, we actually could identify possession and proficiency of that, of those skills. We wanted to show our employees to, based on some algorithm, that's been created, do they agree with the information? Do they trust us by showing that, you know what, this is the information I have. This is the information that a computer has generated. Do I really believe these people when they tell me it's only going to be stuck with between, between these two groups, it's not going to go any further. And it turns out it worked out pretty well. So that this is the kind of approach of inferring skills from data that you've got rather than going out to employees and asking them what skills they've got because number one that takes time for the employees to to do it it's sometimes difficult to drive adoption but instead you went out to employees are saying that you know we've mined this data and this is our understanding of these skills can you please just validate that that this is accurate yeah that's right we asked employees to opt in first and they did and then they participated and then they got back the results we give them opportunities later on to just take a, take a ride with us on on an on a experimental skills journey. That's exactly so right. So this was a pure pilot, really, to to just see whether you actually had the data um, that that was available. You would you could get some form of accuracy, and that accuracy was you know was judged by the, those employees that opted in to validate the information that had been collected. You then sort of moved to the next stage. So this was like almost a pilot of a pilot, I'm guessing, from, from what you're saying. You, you didn't then just suddenly say, okay, now we're going to deploy it all across J&J. You thought, okay, let's do a deeper pilot. And I think you started with your technology department first, I think I'm correct. It'd be helpful to ask, because again, 
I think with something like this, you know, the general uh, recommendations and guidance that we get from both practitioners and uh, and other thought leaders or, or even vendors in the field is do start with a pilot, kind of prove that concept. You know, why why did you choose a technology department? Be helpful to, to, to understand, you know, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, if there's one thing that I know that I've found to be successful in my career is when you've got an engaged sponsor and you've got an engaged head of HR for that sponsor who really wants to move forward, a group of people that we know are willing to take risks and try things out, that's, that's sort of three green lights, if you will, to move forward. And uh, that's, that's really where things started to move quite a bit. What I, what I love about the technology organization, just as Christina pointed out, they started with the end in mind. They said, before, before I just go willy-nilly and say, I just want to assess all these, all, every skill humanly possible, what they did was instead say, you know, I'm going to collect all of the information I have from strategic plans. We know we have what we call long-range financial plans, strategic plans, and they said, all right, across our businesses, the different sectors that we have, the different functions that we have, what are the common capabilities and the skills underneath those capabilities that we as a function need to have in order to meet these goals based on the existing business, but these are typically three, multiple years out. So it's not today, it's a couple of years out from now. Well, if we need different um, capability sets to sell products, to deliver products, to do all these different things, then we have to plan just, and as you know, what's more for planning, right? We, we can't start to hire people two years after something is going to go live. We have to hire it two years before someone even starts to develop something. So the beauty of this was understanding what those plans were and putting in place practices so that we had a strategy around buying and building and borrowing. But to do that, we have to kind of know where people stood. And that's where this was really about educational for, for so many people within the organization. It was not at all if a promotion around, look, you know what? If you don't do this, there's going to be problems. This is not going to go well for you. This was really about this is what we're fighting for. We want you and only you to see. And it's your choice on how you want to do things afterwards. And some really great results that came from that. Specifically, one simple example, over 2,000 people went from no skill detected in certain skills to having evidence of, of at least entry level or more of the skill detected. So... And no, nobody's forced on their goals and objectives. Nobody had to go do that. They did it voluntarily. And that was just in the very early stages of rolling this out within the technology organization. I'm sure, Christina, you've got stuff to add to that. Yeah, in addition to that, I agree with everything you said, Doug. And in addition, it was such a friendly audience who really understood that this might not work. So that was key too. This is a lot of effort on their part. It's a very cool way of measuring skills. It's 
very innovative. In my world, it would be called an, a passive assessment rather than a self-report or a manager report or even an objective test. It's a passive assessment, which I do think is going to be the wave of the future in assessments and this, as this technology continues to advance. But it's, but it's so new that it really might not work. And passive is a little bit of a misnomer because it does take a lot of work on the part of the technology organization. It takes a lot of work on the part of the person even being assessed. Even though they're being assessed passively, they still have to go in and look at this and, and agree or disagree. And then we use that information as well. So it's not that it's no work on their part. And it's definitely a lot of work on the part of the people managing the project. So to put all those resources into something that, you know, at the end of the day, we could have come back and been like, yep, it didn't work. You need to have that expectation set up front. You need that partner with the right expectations who isn't expecting magic, but instead is just as curious as you are to see what you can achieve if you try. What were some of the lessons that you learned um, from the from the pilot, Doug? You know, I I think there are a handful of things when I look at I look at this. First, people want to know where they actually stand. When I think about my own personal life, I want to know how I'm doing, right? Whether that's in in my financial goals, in my personal goals, right? Well, at work, we want to know how we stand, and we want to know how we stand not just once a year or twice a year during performance or mid-year assessments, but we want to know, this is what we're playing for. How am I doing skills-wise against that? I think that's tremendously important, and I think people crave that. We learn that sometimes good enough can be even better. We learn that, you know, that first algorithm that produced pretty good results we learned and asked and asked questions and found that our data scientists realized that we could tweak this a little bit. Maybe if we just did things in a little bit of a different order, maybe feature engineered a little bit, we can actually get better agreement. And with less bias, like anger bias, for example, if we didn't necessarily show the algorithmic score, the people first, if we just gave people the opportunity to rate themselves on this one to five scale they would do better. And it turns out that was true. So we did a little bit of testing. And I think overall, we learned a tremendous amount about what was possible there. But we also found a tremendous hunger, expectedly from human resources leaders. But in my opinion, even more so from business leaders, because business leaders, they run their business. They have to have the talent to run their business but they want to be able to understand the different opportunities and the talent access strategies that they could have so they can have really meaningful dialogues with their HR partners and with their own talent to develop that group. We also learned that not all skills are created equal. Um, and this becomes really apparent when you try to measure them in this way. And so what I mean by that is you can't start with the measurement, right? You actually have to start with defining the skills and defining that construct underneath this skill, right? So meaning what is the definition of the skill? What are the proficiency levels of those skills? If you're going to use them for decision-making, you're also going to need to do validation to link them to jobs. That was not the point of this pilot, but that would also be the third thing. So for example, when you're measuring, for example, project management versus statistical programming, 
J&J has some really specific training programs that we train project managers up on that may not be well known. And so if we have a specific, we have a specific one called FPX. And if the algorithm is trying to infer project management and they see FPX and they might not know that's project management, then, then you're inferring that that might be wrong. Also, there's other things that go into project management, like building relationships and influencing without authority and other things that affect project management versus statistical programming. Well, there's only one way to calculate a chi-square, and a chi-square is at J and J the same as chi-square anywhere else. So that's a little bit easier to use this kind of passive assessment to measure. It's just a little bit more concrete. That was also very interesting, and we continue to explore, first, the importance of defining the skills, but then secondly, that just some skills yield themselves to some different measurement methods better than others, and that's just the nature of the animal skills. Christine is spot on. I, I'm guilty. First of all, I always love algorithms. So I'm guilty of that, number one. And I always forget, oh, yeah, you have to define these things, right? And that's not so simple. And you get to a point where you say, you know what? Am I going to keep building my own or am I going to go buy one? That's a whole separate topic in podcast, I'm sure. But I know project management, something I've been doing virtually my entire career, have certifications in. I did abysmally in our pilot because I didn't have the right J&J words to use. That helped us get better at defining that. Let's pause for a short moment and give a big thank you to our sponsors of this series. At a time when economic uncertainty is ever-present, business leaders need to make quick, data-driven decisions with confidence. As the leading organizational design and workforce planning software platform, OrgView captures the power of data visualization and modeling to give leaders the actionable insight and analysis they need. OrgView is used by the world's largest and best-known enterprises and management consulting firms to build more adaptable, better-performing organizations. See tomorrow's business today with OrgView. To find out more, visit orgview.com. That's O-R-G-V-U-E. Turning to you, Christina, Doug mentioned that, you know, you, one of the reasons for to- choosing the technology department as, uh, as for the pilot was you had a really engaged head of business there and you also had a really engaged head of HR. Um, so, a, I'd love to hear what what they thought of it as, as you know as as the pilot ran through. But then linked to that, you know, the obviously the pilot was successful. How did that then help get buy in from from other business leaders and other members of the C suite to actually start to deploy deploy this approach at scale across the organization? The pilot was successful, and let me be clear about why the pilot was successful because we learned a lot, not because it was perfect measurement. And that's what the expectation we had set up front, that's what we were going for, and that's what we had our leaders aligned to as well. So after the pilot then, our leaders wanted to see even more data, right? They wanted to say, okay, would would this work with more skills? Could our accuracy be better? And then back to the end point, what could this be used for? What are we comfortable using this data for? What are we not comfortable using this data for? 
right? So we had all these these questions that we wanted to keep asking. And so that led us down, okay, so let's try it with some different groups, different employees. Let's try it with some different skills. And let's see what happens there to see what more we can learn. So it really helped build the momentum to keep trying and keep experimenting, keep understanding where the limits of this were, because no measurement is perfect. Some measurement is useful, right? So where is it most useful and where is it going to be most effective for us to use? And Doug, I'm sure you have additional things to add to that question as well. I was going to say, we're, we're, we're a large and diverse organization in every way possible. We have people who are um, just as equally important on the manufacturing floor as they are in management floors. And being able to accurately assess people on the skills that they have, regardless of whether or not they regularly use computers and have good digital footprints or not, is essential for the success of any measurement skills strategy. One of the big takeaways that I walk away with when I think about the size scale of J&J is simply put, there's not a magic silver bullet that will solve every single one of how we're going to measure skills effectively at J&J. I think this is a great tool in our toolkit, but it's not the only tool in our toolkit. How are you going about that? You know, are you taking a, a similar route to when you first started or no doubt, obviously with the learnings that, that, that Christina's talked about and maybe what are some of the, the, the things that you're using this, this for? I always laugh. I, I probably use this joke a little too often, right? But you know, there's a, a very large, um, social network that most people are familiar with. They go to when they look and they want to see what, you know, what kind of education, what kind of jobs you've had what kind of connections and and perhaps even what skills you have i love her dearly my mother's a wonderful woman she's endorsed me for python now i think she thinks i'm working on the anti-venom in our in our pharmaceutical organization no i know python does not have venom i i know that lovely lady right but she's probably not going to be the most accurate representative source to define Python skills when endorsing people for it. I'm very happy to see, though, that she's part of the community catching up on my career and things that are going on. That's awesome. But I think overall, we have to find different mechanisms, ideally ones that are, I'll use the word credentialed or Christina may have a much better terminology to use than about one um, to accurately be able to portray what skills people do and don't have. And ideally within a context, a framework that is within the J&J boundaries of this is good, this is acceptable. Um, because I know that, again, there's not one side that's going to be perfect for everybody. I know that we all want to be able to grow in our career in J&J. It's incredibly important for us. It's, it's in our credo. That's our, our North Star. It's, it's part of how we go about running our business on a daily basis. And the second paragraph is devoted strictly to our employees. And there's a sentence in there that speaks specifically to 
developing and advancing our talents. And this is part of that, right? The knowing what skills people have is great, but David, as you pointed out already, Christina highlighted too, this is the impetus to growing and developing that talent. We have a whole function that is specifically called J&J Learn to really do that in a big, big way. So we really want to move this along the organization as well as make sure we have the best way to, to figure out how we can assess people's skills. Yeah. And, and to answer that part of the question, David, about and what we're, what we're using it for, we're very much starting with development and individuals own development for us. We're not for us to be comfortable using it for any decision making purposes. We want to make sure we'd have all the validation in place. And when I say validation, I mean the IO psychology definition of validation, right? Ensuring that the skills that we're looking at are important for the job. If you're talking about a hiring setting, you got to make sure that they are required at time of hire. There are additional hurdles, right, that need to be used for that. We are working through those now to make sure that we understand that, to make sure that we're fair to all employees and how we use their data. Starting with development is a little bit easier because that allows the employee to kind of take control and align their own development to their skills, right? And, and like Doug said, and we've talked about this is a really innovative, robust way of measuring skills. There are many, many other ways of measuring skills. And there are many ways that organizations might want to measure skills depending on the type of, of skills they're measuring or the employees involved, right? The way you measure skills signals something to the employee as well. Your technology organization typically is super excited to do something innovative. Your legal organization may not be as excited. They might not be excited to be measured at all. Just an example. So there, you got to think about how this will land with your employees. What will they gravitate toward? Uh, what kind of concerns will they have about how you are doing it and what you are doing with the data? So all of those things come into play, right? Because at the end of the day, yes, we're measuring skills. Skills are actually just a small piece of being a human being. And, we and they get talked about a lot in this world. But at the end of the day, we are not just a collection of skills. At J&J, &J, we are a collection of people. And it also says in our credo paragraph, too, that we need to treat everybody as an individual. So we do need to think about their experiences, what they have done their skills, what they can do now, and their aspirations, what they want to do. All of those things are just as important. You measure them differently. This is a very innovative way to measuring skills, but boy, we don't want to reduce people just to a collection of their skills because that would really do a disservice to everyone who works here. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And, and, and I think that's where the dynamic, I think, here with the fact there's the two of you on, on, in this, sh on this episode is, you know, that coming very much from the workforce planning and the people analytics side. You, Christina, coming from that psychology background and obviously, you know, being responsible for assessment and, and, and people practices at the organization. It's a really interesting dynamic, which I think we're going to explore, you know, over the next two questions. So, Doug, we'll start with people analytics. Um, you know, 
what role has has, has the people analytics uh, function at J and J played in, in driving this initiative forward? This has been uh, tremendously fun for us. I'll put it that way as the starting point. As the starting point, um, first it um, it validated further how bringing together all of our human capital data in one place was really a smart decision early on. That was, you know, if I had to say mission accomplished on, on just one item, that would be one of them. The second, when I think about being able to, to demonstrate, are there alternative ways to identify what skills people have in an I'm going to use the word accurate. I know, Christina, there may be a better word uh, for accurate, but in a uh, fairly accurate way to um, uh, to quickly assess pe- what people's skills are with high degree. And I say accurate because of their agreement to those skills with very little human intervention and be able to provide an aggregate view with Again, that trust and transparency to that employee that will share some information, not the first round, but over time with their managers, again, in aggregate use, so they could get that sense of, well, where do we need to deep dive and to understand what kind of opportunity there are for upskilling or for reskilling or for different strategies. And, and I think it also enabled us to, as a people analytics function, to really start digging deep into we know there's going to be t- different talent access strategies that will be needed. We also know that if this may exist in the technology organization, it's got to exist in other parts of the organization. So let's look at R&D, for example, in, in med device. Let's look in some other places where we're probably going to see some overlaps. And we know that there's different areas, but those, those two is just one example. The other, other piece I'd add is it really put a new lens on things like the inflow and outflow of skills, especially skills where we know we have talent scarcity, right? Because that, you know, if all we're doing is bringing in talent and it's hard to bring in certain talent and they're leaving, that's, that's a real challenge. And we want to know about that. And we want to know what are the driving factors for what makes that talent more likely or less likely to leave. To being able to put that into, into some practice was a huge win for us. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. You've both emphasised that, you know, the employees that were very much at the centre of thinking around doing this work, and you talked about how this information can can help employees develop their you know de- with their development in terms of acquiring uh, or, or or improving certain skill sets within the organisation. 
how are you getting your employees on board? Because I guess at the end of the day, you can set this up, but if no one uses it, then all that effort's gone to waste. Yeah, it's a great question. We're trying as much as possible to show them the value that they get out of it. And again, we started with development. So the value they get out of it for their own development. Our development framework has has three prongs, education, experience, and exposure. So it's not just the LinkedIn learning course you can find based on the skill you're looking to achieve. That that can be fine. Any course could, could be helpful. But what mentors can you find around the organization? How can you get exposure to people who might have the skill? Or how can you serve as a mentor to grow it in yourself? How can you find gigs around the organization? So how can you get a little bit more experience? How can you do stretch assignments in this particular skill area? Right. So we're really trying to set up skills-based talent management across the organization, which is a pretty big shift for the organization for folks to see, hey, if I can be really specific and concrete in my development goals, because I understand where the business wants to go, hey, then I can prioritize my own energy a little bit better and I can go in the right direction to get me where I want to go. So that our hope is we're thinking a little bit less about the job title you want next, because maybe in two years, that job doesn't even exist anymore. And it said more about the skills you want to grow because you've been told accurately where the business is going and you can work on developing that. So as you know, the more and more we can show that value to folks, you know, across the organizations who have different businesses, have different business goals, but really get them to understand what's needed, get and then let allow them to easily, there's a key word there, easily understand how to better grow those skills, because it's not that growing the skills is easy, but maybe we can make the resources to grow those skills a little bit easier to access. It's interesting, um, actually, Christina, you've, you've taped up the next question very well. So you you mentioned that, you know, skills-based talent management. So we're thinking about this changes the way we hire, this changes the way we develop, this potentially changes the way we promote. Uh, even in some organizations, you know, they're even looking at, uh, you know, looking at skills-based compensation, for example, as well. So it's a big shift for us as HR professionals. What are the new skills that HR professionals need to learn? And, and, and what are you doing at, at J&J to support this? Yeah, I don't know if I'd define them as new skills, but we have identified two priority skill areas for HR for this year. And I really have to send the kudos to our HR development team who really drove this. But we're focusing on what we're calling digital champion and analytic acumen. And we're saying, hey, for this year, these are our two priority areas. Now, underneath there, there can be individual skills. And those individual skills may depend on what role you're in and what you want to get to, right? So that you can decide based on the experiences you have where you want to go. So for example, all through grad school, I was I taught statistics. I love statistics. Doug can tell you we very much like to geek out about statistics, right? So if I'm thinking about improving my analytic acumen, I'm probably not going to increase the statistical part of I'm where I need to be to evaluate where I need to evaluate. And maybe I'm going to focus a little bit more on digital and digital savvy and some things that I might be missing in digital versus new 
total rewards analyst may find another different part of digital or may take analytic acumen that they learn not in the HR space and want to really understand HR-based analytics and upskill in that area. So these two things we think are going to be critical for anyone in HR, whether you're in compensation, whether you're in well-being, whether you're in talent management, whether you're in BUHR, they're going to be critical moving forward that you have some of analytic acumen and you understand all these, these digital, for lack of a better term, disruptions that continue to happen in the HR space so that you can evaluate and really think critically about them. And I was just thrilled that the HR development team was able to get our HR executive committee to agree on this because in the, in the past, we may not have prioritized quite as well. And I won't get into the research on burnout here, but listen, if you try to do 24 things, you're not going to necessarily do 24 things effectively. So by getting it down to one or two, you can really help people focus. At least for this year, we're not saying forever, but at least for this year, this is what we encourage people to focus on. What do you think, and both both are obviously have the opportunity to, to, to respond to this, what do you think HR leaders need to be thinking about most in the next 12 to 24 months? You know, and what should it, in relation to that, what's your biggest concern and what do you see as the biggest opportunity? So I think from an opportunity standpoint, we have tremendous growth to rethink employee experiences and candidate experiences. And I'll sort of uh, double click specifically into candidate experiences because we've spent a long time, not that we should avoid it going forward, but focusing on retention, turnover. What are all these things that we can do? I think now we have a really great time to rethink what we need to focus on for talent acquisition because lots of systems, lots of technology, lots of stuff out there around that, I'll call it that space. I think it's high tide to really get really good at that and make sure that experience of our candidates, the experience of our employees is really solid, really good because otherwise it just leads to really poor outcomes. The concern I have is, uh, is, is one that simply put, we know today that employee trust and transparency are paramount. We have lots and lots of data. And if we don't continue to demonstrate further that protecting people's information, using it in good ways, not negative ways, but in good ways, that's going to hurt everyone and the entire function that, that we are I'm a part of, Christina is a part of, that HR serves to do. So making sure that we really continue to raise that bar around ethics, raise that bar around trust and data and how we use employees' information is paramount. Yeah, excellent. Christina? Yeah, I think the opportunity I see is also my biggest concern area, and that's AI, right? So artificial intelligence continues to grow in the HR space. And in some cases, that's phenomenal, right? Because we're advancing and we're innovating. And in some cases, it has 
real unintended consequences that we didn't know it was going to have. And so you, you, you're starting, you see folks on all sides of this continuum of AI will reinvent HR. And then the other side of like, it's too dangerous. It's too misunderstood. We shouldn't use it at all, which I also don't think is right. Right. So it's important to understand where AI can help HR, how AI works. Talk about digital champion. HR needs to understand AI. HR needs to not be like, this is a black box. And so I'm just going to, on the surface level, understand it. No, no, no. We need to, we need to understand it. We need to be intellectually curious and get underneath it and understand what's working. And if that means you need to do more math and statistics than you thought you'd be doing in HR, then that's just where HR is going. And please do more math and statistics to understand AI, right? We have new regulation popping up, right? We have the New York City regulation that's going to hit in mid-April that was delayed as December. And how is that going to affect companies, right? There's going to be more state legislation. Oh, and by the way, there's already different country legislation outside of the United States that everyone should be aware of that is involved globally. So I don't see this stopping anytime soon. I do think this is going to continue to grow. And it's so important for HR leaders to take a really thoughtful and nuanced approach to it and not just say it's all great or that it's all terrible because that's never the case. It's somewhere in the middle. No, it's a really important point, Christina, and, and a really good place, I think, to end the episode. I think that all that people ponder as they as they listen to this. So, um, Doug, Christina, thank you so much for being guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. It's been wonderful to hear uh, about the work that you're doing at, at J&J. C- can you let listeners know how they can find you on social media, if you do social media, uh, and find out more about your, your work at J&J? I, I would encourage, if, uh, if you want to learn more, uh, certainly about me. Um, please follow me on LinkedIn, and uh, you know it's a it's a great place to uh, to to connect and to uh, to be followed. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Christina Norris Watts. If you want to know more about J and J, you can always go to the J and J website. If you thought this was a really fun place to work and you'd like to work with us, I'm going to do a little plug for jobs.jnj.com. It's a nice website to check out every once in a while. There we are. Perfect way to end it. Doug, Christina, thank you very much. Thank you, David. Thank you so much, David. Thanks for tuning in to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. We hope you enjoyed this insightful conversation with Doug Shagam and Christina Norris-Watts on how they are helping to build a skills-based organization at J&J. If you did like this episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast streaming channel so that we can keep producing the show. And if you want to stay up to date on the latest industry trends and best practices and learn more from us at Insight 222, sign up for our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Bye for now, and we'll hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Take care.